Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you're listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. I'm very excited about our conversation today that I'm having with Mark Aronoff, uh, who who we will get to meet in just a few moments, uh, just happened across kind of a PR notice that was sent out about a new book that he is involved with called Love's Guest, Reflections of Inspiration and Wisdom. It's all based on St. Catherine of Genoa, who is a Catholic saint, honored in our Catholic tradition, one I don't know much about, but we just had a lovely chat uh, kind of in our, our pre-talk uh, before the the podcast and uh, just wonderful insights. I think we're going to glean today, wonderful stories. So this is uh, something I'm looking forward to. Uh, I'm very much in love with the mystical tradition of the church, the different mystic, uh, mystical experiences of the saints. Of Anyways, just really looking forward to this. So Mark, thanks so much for joining me today to talk a little bit about Love's Guest and the story of this saint and her writings uh, I think a lot of people are going to be introduced to her, maybe for the first time, if I'm willing to bet. Yes. Thank you, Father Lee. It's my pleasure to be here this morning. St. Catherine of Genoa is the lesser known of the Catherines. And, um, of course, St. Catherine of Siena is a little more well known. Um, but, yeah, no, she came to me uh, about a year ago. And uh, it's quite the quite the remarkable experience. Yeah, now that's interesting you use that language. She came to me, right? So some people might think, oh, well, she came to me. Maybe you had a dream about St. Catherine of Genoa, or she came to you. Maybe you had some sort of mystical experience where you saw her or something like that. But I don't think that's what you mean. But of course, that's what I could immediately go to think of. But tell us a little bit how you came across St. Catherine of Genoa, because I think it's such an interesting, fascinating story. Yes. So I was researching material for a book that I'm writing inspired by the life of Thomas Merton. And of course, Thomas Merton is well known and has inspired perhaps millions of Catholics or young men to enter into monastic life. He is um, a prolific writer. And I was reading his journals and it was an entry in one of his journals that referenced, he had been requested by one of his patrons. He had many admirers at this point in his life. This would have been one of his latter journals um, where she had requested he write a book about St. Catherine of Genoa. Now that inspired me at that point to visit his home, which was the, it was the Abbey at Gethsemane in Kentucky, where he lived for 27 years. And eventually they built him, this would have been, uh, this is a, a Trappist uh, order, the Cisterian, um, if I'm saying it correctly, order that built him a hermitage, which was a little bit out of the ordinary. And uh, I had a chance to seep myself, so to speak, in Merton's teachings. And what followed was simply this, I began to look into the St. Catherine of Genoa, who I'm I had never heard about, uh, really knew almost nothing. And it was there that in, she's basically known for two primary works, her Treaty on Purgatory, which is incredible. We should talk about that a little bit. And something known as the Spiritual Dialogues. The Spiritual Dialogues is a dialectic between the body, the soul, God, 
and um, uh, self-love of all things. And she works between these characteristics of human existence as a way of working out her understanding of how we attain union with God. It's a fascinating, somewhat convoluted dialogue. The spiritual dialogues has a section that I've reprinted in Love's Guest, Reflections of Inspiration and Wonder. And it's in this section that where she's basically singing, I, I use the word singing, but she's speaking of divine love, her experience of it, her relationship with it, her questions and answers and deep, deep searching. And it's for her and humanity that she speaks of divine love and our relationship with it. And I just knew when I read those words, it was the most amazing experience of my life, one of the most, where I just knew I had to bring this, this section of spiritual dialogues to fruition. And early on, as I mentioned to you earlier, I was kind of in this um, deep mystical place. I'm going to say that. I don't know how to quite language it. I was dripping in Catherine's divinity for about a week. And it was in that week that I was sketching and writing. And I, I think I wrote a line, we are all love's guest. And at some point we become love's host. But it was that, and it, it was not initially the title, but it, it came to me through some discussions with uh, my spiritual community at the time. But yes, love's guest. What does that mean to actually have that? And she was. When you read her work, and maybe we'll read a, a line or two from the book, but that's how it came to be born. It was like you, Mark, have to do this, <laughs> and and who's talking to me? That inner voice, that spirit, the Holy Spirit. Something moved me beyond my control. So essentially, it was you reading Thomas Merton, and as you saw this, just one line as diary, you're like, maybe this is me, maybe. And as you're talking uh, with others and as you're seeking counsel, they're, they're saying, yes, maybe you should do what Merton was asked to do. It's curious to me. I wonder if Merton had a knowledge of St. Catherine of Genoa or if this was maybe it came across his desk, came in a, a piece of mail and maybe he just tossed it to the side. He writes about it in the journal, as you mentioned, but maybe he just thinks, ah, why would I do that? Why St. Catherine of Genoa when there are so many other saints in our Catholic tradition? And so, yeah, that's just very fascinating to me that, you know, you saw that and you picked it up and, and you ran with it. And I, I really love, too, what you say there, that you were dripping really with uh, the writings or the, the divine nature of uh, the writings of Catherine of Genoa. And, and for me, I know that I've had a similar experience, sometimes when I visit the grave of a holy person, uh, there's one where I live in the state of Wisconsin, southwestern part. I go to the grave of Samuel Mazzucchelli maybe once a year, and there's just something about it that I leave that place, uh, his, his grave, having asked his intercession, and I feel different because of it, that I've encountered something holy or received something, received grace, uh, or, or whatever it might be. And I, I noticed that it lingers for about a week. So that's kind of what you were describing there. So I, exactly. I know that experience. Yeah. So someone had asked him and he never did it. Hey, you know, in his, he's journaling. These journals were his personal 
record. And so-and-so asked me to write a book about St. Catherine of Genoa. That's all. That's the only line. And I thought, who's this St. Catherine of Genoa? But what you just spoke to, I just want to affirm these words. When I read them, they transformed me. It was as if the words themselves contain the Holy Spirit in a manner that whoever reads them will receive that grace and love that she so deeply revealed. It's like when you went to that grave, you received the, imp- I don't want to use the word imprint, but the grace, grace surrounds the deep religious and, and hum- humility that saints and, and, devout people bring to the world so that when we step into it, we may also experience literally just being in that presence, whether it's a gravesite or the words of a saint. It's And I think in some manner, I want to say you were ready to receive it also. How open are you? How willing are you? How, and I was reading St. Teresa this morning, actually, the, the little flower, and how there was this moment in her life where she got out of her own way and just kind of allowed spirit and God to move through her. And that sounds like what happened to you a little bit. Yeah. So you read that one line, have this thought, who is Catherine of Genoa? So what, what did you do? Which like, obviously you probably go to your phone. Maybe you go somewhere, you type in Google. (laughs) Who is St. Catherine exactly. of Genoa? So, so you learn a little bit about her biography, but then do you go and you... So which of those books do you pick up first, her treatises? Uh, the That's doctor- a good question, yeah. yeah. I So what happened was I, um, I was attracted to the spiritual dialogues, the title. I'm, 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 um, I, I am also a successful playwright. I have a. Um, I've managed in the to, to work in the in the um, world of theater, and the the title caught my eye. What does that mean? Wow, a dialogue between the body, the soul, God, and self love. What's that? And I listened to an actual recording, and it was hard to get through. I, I have to confess, but then there came this one section. And she starts much of it. I'm looking at the book now. Oh, love, the soul that feels you begins even in this world to possess eternal life. And much of this, oh, love, those who feel you, understand you not. And she has this, oh, and I thought, what's that? And it was that section of the spiritual dialogues, literally, that kind of swept me away. Wow. It's it's very incredible to think about kind of the writings of the saints, that here we are hundreds of years removed from her, and she's still speaking to you, and she's speaking to the audience of people who will buy your book and read uh, about her treatise and read her words, especially about love and being love's guest. And, and so really, that's the value of these saints, is that they transcend the time. They wrote to a particular audience, sure. And you wonder, well, did she think that 100 or 200, however many hundreds of years later, that we would be reading them today? Or did she think these this was just intended for a small group of people? So what was her mindset? I wonder. You know, I don't know if you know an answer to that. There's a great. So, yes, I would like to speak to that. So I want to share two tidbits. First, my day job, so to speak. I'm a a licensed mental health counselor. Hmm. I work with people every day. 
And I pose the question, and this is in, also in the introduction of the book, how do human beings change? How do we reduce our suffering? How do we live a healthier life? Not perfect, but how do we become okay enough to be at peace with ourselves and the world around us? Okay, that's my job. Fast forward, I'm reading about, once I began to dig into this book, the life of St. Catherine of Genoa. Now, here's a story for you. Young St. Catherine tried to enter uh, a convent, as her sister had, but she was turned away for her young age at some point. So she would have grown up in a very devout 15th century, by the way, we're talking around 1490, um, Genoa, Italy. She was born into a fairly um, wealthy family. That said, she was married off to, at the age of 16, a man who ended up a spendthrift, gambling, uh, cheating, mm. dishonest, dis uh, unloyal husband. Now here's 16-year-old 16 16-year-old 16 Catherine enduring that for approximately 10 years. And I believe during that time she went pretty low. It would have been, I kind of describe it as a kind of state of depression. At some point, she goes to visit her sister in the convent where the sister, I don't have the name right up on the tip of my tongue, and her sister invites her to offer confession at the age of 26. And it was in this moment, a mystical experience occurred for St. Catherine of Genoa, whereby God, as she puts it, pierced her heart. She began crying uncontrollably. She might have fell to the ground. The priest, oddly, had left a moment or two earlier, came back, found her crying, and she left abruptly. Now, conversion occurs for many reasons for many of the saints, and it would probably be a wonderful kind of uh, story to look at how do saints um, find themselves in that um, deep, rich, devout um, world. And uh, Merton actually describes the life of saints a little bit as um, they're not rebels, but they're they're just so clear about their relationship with God. So at that point, Catherine goes home. I'm kind of summing this up. Her husband sees her transformed, and he, and imagine this, somehow renounces his life as he knows it, and says, I want to follow you. What, what happened to you? I want what you have, which is kind of what happened to Christ. You know, I think people saw Christ in real time in that, we, were, you know, it was all Jews. You know, is this, what is this? Many, many Jews absolutely believe this is the Messiah. I can promise you that. And many were confused and torn. But they saw him, and they felt him, and that happened to Catherine. And this husband never again cheated. They ended up volunteering at the local hospital, uh, Pentamoni, I think, in Genoa, during a time of a plague. Yeah. And, and Catherine then became an administrator and lived her life out working at the hospital with her husband who died before her. They even adopted his illegitimate child. Now, I posed the question in the introduction, what happened to that man? 
what was it a look in her eye? Was it a word or words that she spoke? Was it an expression? Was it a feeling? Was it the power and pathos of her presence? What allowed that man to change forever? And that, for me, is the transformative power of God working through humans. Yeah, wow. Now, I'll just add one little bit. You know, as a psychologist, I, I sometimes look at her writings, and she was prone to not eat for weeks. And, you know, she speaks of being in a kind of prison of love. And she's on the edge of what we might call mental health, um, swept away. It's not easy to be um, swept away by the presence of God. And yet she showed up for work every day, more or less, and kept her job. <laughs> and uh, it's just an amazing story how Catherine manifest and lived her life, both devout and practical. Yeah, there is something about that. When you notice someone who loves God, has a has something about them, that they've encountered God, and there's an attractiveness, I want to follow them. I think we see that sometimes in some of these religious orders that are founded, that yes. there's kind of the attraction of the founder, like, I want to follow in this person's footsteps, I want to I want to learn from them or, or, or whatever. But I just, there, there was an experience for me in the seminary that that there, there was like a 6 a.m. holy hour before we would have morning prayer at 7.15. The 6 a.m. holy hour was in a different chapel. Then you would have to walk to the other chapel. You know, so you had to make the decision if you wanted to go to that holy hour. But seeing some of my peers who would go and then seeing how they lived their lives and, you know, what difference this relationship with God made with them made me want to go to that holy hour. And so, like, their witness. So so I guess, you know, that's kind of what Catherine does for her husband then in that regard. Mm, I think so. Something happened to that man. And that's something, and something happened to Catherine where her life was never the same. And when you read about it, and, 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 and it's interesting, I haven't talked about her other book, The Treaty of Purgatory. You know, one theme that runs through both works, and she's probably most famous for the Treaty of Purgatory, um, is this idea that I call it the God chord, that the spirit of God runs through us at every moment and every second and every cell of our body. You know, there's a teaching, I think, you may have a, a more articulate way of saying it, but the kingdom of God is within us. And Catherine speaks to that innate, incalculable, um, absolutely um, all-consuming potential within every human for the revelation of God or the divine. And that plays through purgatory as well is her premise that the souls in purgatory yearn have that potential. All they have to do is, well, awaken to it. I'm not sure exactly that's all they have to do, but <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about this treatise on purgatory, because as you were sharing her, her story and how her husband and she worked at this hospital during a plague, like immediately what knowing that she had, this treatise on purgatory, I thought to myself, well, I bet she writes this because she wants to grapple in a sense with what happens to these individuals who have died 
from the the plague that they had and you know she saw death and so maybe this was her her moment of coming to terms and processing uh, seeing so many people die uh, during this health crisis. I, I don't know if that would be a fair assessment, but that's immediately what I thought of when you were talking about that. So, uh, but what are some of the key points uh, in this writing on purgatory? So I'm less of an expert, and I'm no expert at all. I'm I'm just a fellow who fell in love with the language of love. Um. I'd like to speak to the elements of the human psyche for a second that you touched upon, conscious and unconscious. On the one hand, she had and was, and she grew up, also would have been influenced in a deeply Catholic world that was the standard, that was the, the norm. So the culture that she was in was seeped in that. We have to kind of take that into context, right? That was the world she lived in in 1490, Genoa, Italy. She has a conversion of some kind. She's no longer solely her own. It, it's like, what happens when we get out of our way? And this is for me the big question. I, I thought about doing a workshop called The Everyday Mystic, whereby our capacity to experience the mystical nature of reality, as Merton, Thomas Merton calls it, the supernatural in, in the most literally Christian way of experiencing Christ. And how does that change our understanding of God? At what point do we shift from what we've learned, what we're told, what we're supposed to do, what we need to do in order to go to heaven to what Catherine would have manifest as this is who I am. This is what I know. This is how I am. Take it or leave it. You may not like it. You know, some saints were martyred for that reason. I'm going to speak my truth. Now, Catherine was not a rebel saint. She didn't end up in some trouble as some other saints, right? Um, but, and this is also a little side note, um, much of her work was spoken to her uh, her circle of what would have become over the years. It wouldn't have been immediate that became clearer and clearer and clearer. This uh, human known as um, Catherine Fieschi, uh, Adorno would have been her birth name. I can actually, let me just see if I can pull it up real quick in the pronunciation. Um, Caterina Fieschi Adorno, born in 1447 to distinguished God-loving family. Um, it became clearer and clearer to those around her that something had happened. The premise, and this is my understanding of the Treaty of Purgatory, is an understanding of the souls in purgatory um, <clears throat> already containing the elements of their redemption and that it's a, a certain actualization in this, um, this place, which I also consider, a, a, if I'm just going to kind of jump ahead for a second, a, a metaphor for our life today. How many of us live 
we go to church, we go here, we go there. And how do we navigate the inevitable difficulties of this life? You know, bad things happen to good people. We lose a child, there's accidents, there's illness, there's, and I think there's a lot of grace in that. But purgatory, if we think about it, is this intermediary state of suffering whereby we are incomplete with our capacity and or union with God. Um, so she speaks in her treaty, both of the, and I'm not sure how the, the Catholic Church approaches purgatory today. I think there was some discussion about that, um, that it's both, a, a, and it would have been in that at that time, a, a place you went to after death if you weren't complete, and a metaphor for life. How many of us are in this intermediary place where we're struggling with depression, anxiety? You know, from my point of view as a psychologist, the, the disorders of our day are equally, if not more existential than biological. How do we come to harmony? And part of it's an understanding, part of it's a dialogue, part of it's maybe truly, sincerely um, expressing grief. You know, many of us have been harmed by humans that no one should have had to go through that. The, the, the vicissitudes of war. Um, humans need to heal. There's a place for healing. There's a place for talking to a therapist sometimes. We're talking to a, a, a pastor or a priest. We have been harmed sometimes. The world is hurting today. And yet there's this, the, the premise of the Treaty of Purgatory is that at every moment, there's also, in addition to your healing, in addition to your grief, in addition to your story, the potential for union with God exists at every second. The divine is playing through this moment. My words are and your words, and this, 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 everyone hearing this right now has the capacity to step back, lean into, and kind of exhale into the mystery. And that's the earthly dance. And I think that's her premise of purgatory, that that exists actually in purgatory. Yeah, so uh, purgatory today we'd still believe exists. It's a place we're purified. Uh, Cardinal right. Ratzinger, maybe I think he said this just as cardinal, not as Pope Benedict, but right. he kind of wondered could purgatory be just an instant? You know what? Like what is? And then I, I do think you know you kind of mentioned depression, other things, and and some of that kind of is purgative here on Earth and. Uh, I always go back to the example of Mother Angelica, uh, the foundress of EWTN, that that she, in her life, at the very end, you know, last 10 years, however many years it was, she suffered this debilitating stroke, couldn't take care of herself, couldn't do the things that she wanted to do. Um, and, and really, you know, people said, you know, she went through her purgatory at the end of her life, purifying her. You know, so so could that be some sort of anticipated uh, eschatological purgatory. So, yeah, yeah, purgatory, it, it's good for us to turn to some of these mystics of old, some of the saints who wrote long ago to see what they wrote uh, about this doctrine uh, that we believe in. So, uh, you, one of the things you began as you talked there, uh, you 
began by saying that Catherine was living in a very Catholic place. This was the ethos of the people. And, and what I found interesting as I was looking into Catherine of Genoa, and, you know, I actually think I may have read the treatise on purgatory, but it may have been 15 years ago. So no recollection of it. I know that, that I might've read it actually. Uh, but uh, what I found and just looking her up, seeing what I could learn about her real quick is that, She's on the calendar, celebrated by the Roman Catholic Church. The Episcopalian Church, they honor and respect her. So they have a feast day for Catherine of Genoa. So it seems that, that this Catholic saint has an appeal to people who are just not Catholic, but an appeal to Christians at large. And I'm just curious, what do you make of that? Why do you think that's the case? We hunger for God. All humans that have any kind of spiritual nature, mystical, call it what you want. Sometimes I call it the divine. We are made of God. We are. I mean, if we lift the veil, as I call it, of what appears and the heartache and hardship and fears of our life. And this can this can be experienced through both discipline and practice, which is important. Merton was incredibly disciplined. And through the revelation of getting out of your own way. Yeah, so you have compiled uh, excerpts of uh, Catherine of Genoa's spiritual dialogue. You've put it together as love's guest. And as someone makes their way through it, what could they expect as they open up Love's Guest and uh, encounter the writings of uh, Catherine of Genoa? So we have an introduction. We move into the actual excerpts, which are written in small paragraphs. Um, I'll read one right now. This is an example. Oh, by the way, I should add, it's illustrated by the remarkable and she is also an ordained pastor, um, Jan Richardson, whose all her artwork is kind of of a religious nature. And I just find, I don't know if you, you saw the artwork, and uh, I just found it very inspiring. So here's one, here's one little tidbit from the book. Oh, love, all that is done through you is done with ease, with gladness and goodwill. And though the toil be difficult, your sweetness tempers every trial. Love carries with it its own reason and will, and likewise remains Lord of the whole human, subjecting us entirely to its will according to its pleasure. And the work is wholly its own, for then its operations are effected through love, in love, and by love. You will encounter, I took about oh, five pages, broke them down, this, if you will, song of love. That is followed by what I call reflections uh, on the text. I actually call it, let me see, Reflections for a New Understanding of Love is my title. Meditations for a New Understanding for Love. And in this, I simply take some of the text, like she says, Lord, do you know who is it that employs my love? You whose heart is pure and empty of every other love. 
I then posed the question for reflection, what do you think St. Catherine means empty of every other love? Mm. What other love might you carry that get in the gets in the way, that may get in the way? What other love might you carry that may get in the way of employing the Lord's love? Mm. <laughs> so I have a little reflection guy. There are some annotations. I have some commentary, my own little insights into the text. And it ends with an afterword by Brother Paul Kunin, who is at uh, the Abbey at Gethsemane and the gatekeeper of Merton's Hermitage, whom I met. As you encountered uh, the writing of St. Catherine of Genoa because of uh, Thomas Merton, what stands out to you in this whole song of love What's your biggest takeaway or what's the biggest thing you learned from St. Catherine? There are moments in our lives when we are love's guest. And we are so occupied by that home, by that presence, by, by that host, by that being, that we're going to call love, which is God. That we are no longer in an egoic thinking, controlling mode so that we're swept away literally by the presence, by the mystical, by the supernatural. These are all elements of a grounded, concrete, clear-headed, yet, how shall I say, slightly swept away experience of God. And that's what I believe Merton experienced at times. If you read his work, this is such a cogent, clear-headed, articulate. I mean, he was also a scholar. Um, but what happens in things like the Little Flower or in any of the saints, really, and that's probably why they're canonized at some point in their life, is they reveal the supernatural, mystical nature of God. And I think that that's what I think caught me a little bit. It's like, wow. This is a wow moment, and um, God bless Catherine for offering us this. When it comes to Thomas Merton, in some Catholic circles, he's kind of controversial. Uh, a lot of times, and I've written actually about Thomas Merton. Uh, I did a piece on his Mary, uh, his Marian spirituality in Thomas or in uh, the Seven Story Mountain and in the Sign of Jonas. So, so kind of those are the two works that I've turned to. Uh, I'm a familiar with the journals that you mentioned. I haven't read them all, but I, I've read uh, maybe parts of one or two of them. So uh, a lot of times people are maybe hesitant about Thomas Merton because of he dabbled in Eastern mysticism and all of this stuff uh, toward the end of his life. And so, but you shared with me as we were talking before we started recording, just kind of your experience of going to the hermitage. And I just was very moved by kind of your reaction. You, you said that as you walked in, that immediately you uttered something. And I just thought, could you share a little bit about that experience? Because I think it's very appropriate for this podcast, for this uh, audience. Right. My understanding, and I'm no merchant expert, is first and foremost, he was a devout Catholic. You read his early, early journals. And, and yes, he was flawed human. But his life at the Abbey, and it was 27 years at the Abbey of Gethsemane, as a Trappist, strict order of the Cistercians, was devout Catholicism. Mm. 
I was chatting when I was there. The fellow who was collecting my laundry as I was leaving was probably an 84 year old man. And he said, oh, I remember Merton. We were sleeping on straw mats. These were, this is when they would get up at probably three in the morning, two in the morning to work the fields before breakfast. And he said he was so excited. He would be jumping up and down another beautiful day. Come on, brothers, let's go. Let us work for God. This young Merton would have been devout. And interesting story is, 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 um, he graduated from Columbia and everyone thought he was going to be a writer. He ends up joining a, a, a monastery. He says to the abbot, I no longer wish to write. That is not the path of a monk. And the abbot says, no, 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 no. I have a feeling you've got something special. I want you to do some research for us and do some writing. Well, lo and behold, he, he rewrote a few um, liturgical pieces and he was really working for the, the church at that point kind of it just the, the man can write and actually i think some of the um I, I don't know how to language it the power or big big wigs in italy got wind of his his writing and said we want to him to write for us but the abbot encouraged him to write and that led to his autobiography the severn story mountain which was at the end of world war ii the war had just ended, and it's you know, at that time he really there was no controversy. Well, there was the only controversy was a monk shouldn't be a writer, and um, but as he evolved, um, and I'm going to answer your question, he did indeed uh, his books, his many books for that matter, caught the eye of a number of um, for whatever reason. Um, leaders partly because he was against the vietnam war he kind of started getting into that political stance and he caught the eye of a, a, a vietnamese buddhist monk by the name of Thich Nhat Hanh, who had been nominated for the nobel prize by martin luther king and he did he started researching and reading some of the eastern tenets of um buddhism and uh he was a controversial figure they finally built him a hermitage I um, had a chance to step into it. And in that little hermitage, this was a few years ago, there's a, a room where he prayed. It would have been probably six times a day. And there are a number of, of images of Mary, of other paintings on the wall. And um, I spontaneously said, Holy Mary, your presence is here. Uh, my prayer is for you, pray for me. Something came out of my mouth and I started crying spontaneously. And I don't do that too often, <laughs> I gotta tell you. But her presence and the presence of his prayer had so seated the, and this is years, what, 40 years after his death, that room remained. Mm. I was like, wow, <laughs> you know, Mary is here. How beautiful. Yeah, and I know that Merton had a devotion to Our Lady. He credited his vocation as a monk and as a priest to Our Lady of Cobre, uh, a Cuban devotion to Our Lady. Uh, he, in the sign of Jonas, just was very mesmerized by the antiphons of the church, especially 
on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception or some of these other Marian feast days. And so, so yeah, he was a, a person that I know that had a deep love for the Blessed Mother. So you sharing that his hermitage at the end of his life is filled with Marian imagery doesn't surprise me. So, uh, yeah, I just thought that was a beautiful story about his devotion, you know, as a monk, as a Catholic, as really a, a son of Our Lady. Uh, so, yes. so how beautiful. Now, uh, Mark, you have compiled these poetic verses about love from the spiritual dialogues of St. Catherine of Genoa, who we've gone to meet today. Uh, I, you have written other things. I know you have other books you shared with me privately uh, that, that are in the works. So if people want to learn more about what you have done and maybe stay apprised of what you are doing, uh, how can they learn more? Love's Guest. Dot com is the, the website. Love's Guest, Reflections of Inspiration and Wonder is available at all bookstores and or on Amazon. I've gotten some strong reviews from a few bishops and people in the clergy. I My prayer is this, that whoever reads these words will be so touched by the presence of Catherine's love that you too will find a blessing in this language. But it's available online to answer that question. It's there. Yeah, lovesguest.com is a good place to go. You'll read about me a little bit. And um, there's some some reviews and a link to buy the book. Well, very good. Well, I think you've done a great service uh, to all of us by making us more aware of this uh, 15th century saint, St. Catherine of Genoa, and her spiritual writings. And uh, people are going to learn more about her when they pick up your book, when they read also the primary text of Catherine of Genoa. So thanks so much, Mark, for joining me today on the show. Thank you so much for taking an interest in this. Thank you.